You're listening to the Companion Gun Dog Podcast, and I'm your host, Grayson Geyer. I'm going to try something a little different this morning. I'm, uh, I'm here in my basement, in my recliner. I've got Althea, the lab, curled up in her uh, chair. It used to be a place board, and now she's kind of worked her way into her own little cozy chair in the corner, and I'm just letting it slide. Uh, as you can tell, I'm sans Emily today, which is a little bit concerning to me as I've struggled to keep myself on track in the past, but uh, I'm going to do my best. I've got some rigid notes. It just happens to be that time of year where I'm up a couple hours before the sun. Um, I've always struggled to be productive in this time. I've, I've feel I'm at my best in the mornings and I enjoy writing and keeping up with uh, the website and doing whatever administrative tasks I've got ahead of me. Um, you know, because we just don't have a lot of daylight hours to do the work that I, uh, that I normally do during that time. Um, so the sun will be up here in an hour or two and I'll get out there and get shaken. Uh, but for now I'm going to attempt to, uh, to fly solo on this one. Um, you know, I just kind of want to briefly go over some of the things that have been going on at the kennels. What's, what's, uh, the current status of our operations, I guess you, you might say we are, uh, we've picked up our November class. So I pick up a November class. We run six weeks for the basic pointing dog program. I've got seven dogs in that program currently. That's a good number. Um, I could handle a couple of more, um, but uh, we had a couple drop out last second, and I really just felt like it was a good time in the year to not uh, to not force any extras. So uh, the workload is is manageable. Um, it's also that time where I tend to have just less help loitering, which uh, which I. I always appreciate having those folks around. I have day trainers that really have become kind of normal help, but everybody's kind of ramping up for the holidays, busy with life and work, uh, less vacation time. It just seems the, that's the way it goes. So right now, this is a, uh, it's just me. It's me at the kennels every day. I got a, I do have some help. I recruit from the local high school baseball team cause I'm in good with the coach and I trust him when he refers me a, kid with a solid worth at work ethic that that likes money and I try to pay those guys well and and uh, incentivize them to do a good job and I you know check behind them of course is uh, when you're you know self-employed and and your livelihood hangs on the health and well-being of the dogs out there in the kennel um, you tend to obsess on it a little bit but it's nice to be able to take those kind of mornings and evenings and, and try to spend my, with my wife and kid when I can. And so we've worked that into our day. It's we're, we're slowly developing systems, uh, of redundance that ensure everything runs smoothly. Um, and, and just frees up a little bit of important time. And if you're out there, uh, owning your own business, I'm assume you kind of understand that struggle. Uh, so, the pointing dog class now is in full swing. That's our kind of our flagship program. I run, I have always run four of those a year. And, uh, and currently I'm working on something a little different for January. Um, and it's going to allude to a podcast episode. I'm going to plan to work on, 
with a friend of mine, and I'll, I'll let that be a surprise for you now, but it's going to be about the importance of wild birds for our dogs. We talk about it a lot on the podcast, but we never really explain like, you know, how to go about doing that. And so that's something we want to do, you know, down here in the Southeast anymore. Um, the public land situation is kind of rough in some areas. Uh, the bird numbers are always rough anymore. Um, we're just not, we're no longer in that heyday, especially of the Bob white quail in the Southeast. So we, we make do with what we have, you know, for me, that tends to be woodcock, which have really become uh, a passion for me, uh, started as a trash bird. And now it's something that I focus on and, and deeply passionate about. I, I enjoy woodcock hunting. I respect the bird and, uh, and they are kind of at the the forefront of my thoughts this time of year. So, um, so if you're out there and you're considering, you know, what you might do to, uh, help yourself as a hunter, become a better hunter, have a better bird dog. Um, there's, there's merit in passing up kind of your easier preserve hunts to get out there and really try, to get into wild birds. And so I won't drag that drag on too much longer about that because we're going to, we're going to address that in a future episode. But for now, uh, just want to talk about what we have going on and, uh, and what our plans for the future are. And I, I do want to talk about some of the really cool things we've done here recently. Um, that being said, before we really fire off, I just want to let everybody know I've got one availability for January's wild bird program. I'm going to take four dogs and I'm just going to hunt wild birds. We're going to do some interesting things that instead of guiding hunts on kind of honey holes that I have available to me, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to really prospect. We're going to travel around our little region and uh, I'd like for anyone interested to reach out to me we'll kind of look at areas that we'll prospect together and it's going to be more of a how-to this is how I target woodcock when I go to hunt this is how I kind of scout prior to getting boots on the ground we'll work on a little bit of that together and then we'll get into the woods we'll look at our cover types and our landforms and our terrain and um, and do our best to get ourselves into birds but it's going to be the client and I, um, hopefully you and I, out there doing our best to uh, to find new covers, to figure out how to hunt these little birds together. And so um, if you're interested in that, reach out to me via the website. You can give me a call at 910-639-2690 um, and book one of those. I've got a calendar available. I'll shoot you a link to, and I'll try to put that up in the show notes as well. So if you're interested in that January program, kind of a how-to on woodcock hunting, get out there, boots on the ground with me, that'd be great. Um, I have got room for one more dog that will be along with me daily on those wild bird excursions. Um, There are some prerequisites for those dogs. I'd like either to have had those dogs in a basic pointing program, or I need to do an assessment to make sure I've got a good handle on your dog, and it's kind of got the the basic skill set required to go out and be a serviceable hunting dog. Uh, so if you feel like you, you fit that mold, give me a shout and, uh, 
and we'll try to put something together for you. Also, I've got some availabilities in March. I think I've got a handful of uh, of either kennel slots and maybe one companion gun dog program um, space available. Uh, for that month and that'll be a basic pointing dog program as well or if you you're one of my existing clients in an advanced slot so if you're interested in that also reach out and then we are looking to go ahead and load the uh the summer retrieve and water program that one runs from um the beginning of may through the end of july that'll be our force fetch program and uh and intro to water work hopefully with a uh, either a finished duck search or um, the beginnings of a cold blind retrieve, depending on what type of dog you have and what kind of handling you do. So I would say those are the ones I'd, I'd like to go ahead and uh, start seeing the pipe fill on. Um, so please reach out if interested. They've been effective. We've really got a uh, kind of got a system down and a lot of it, uh, the most important thing is just an open line of communication between, uh, the owner and, and me. So, um, that's what we work on, work really hard to work together, bring you guys in once the program's over and spend as much time as possible together. Um, making sure you're a confident and competent handler of your own dog. Uh, we'll go ahead and move right into what I have, uh, have planned for today. Um, first thing I want to talk about is that we are now in bird season. Now we have been, depending on what part of the country you live in for quite a while now, um, we're almost to mid November, um, which is really for me when things start to turn on, uh, the Virginia woodcock season opens. I look forward to that. We've been in our second split of duck season for, for a while now. It's been a pretty unseasonably warm fall. We haven't, we've had a couple of frosts, but, I wouldn't say we've had a push, and so I'm not seeing any big ducks out there. Um, uh, But of course, the wood duck hunting is always, you know, is always good in the southeast. I think pretty much wherever you are, if you're willing to put the work in, uh, and if you have access to the right spaces, I I don't. I've got a few friends that have some honey holes and they, they invite me out on occasion and that's cool. And I always appreciate that, but I always like to wait for those invites unprompted and try to not loiter too much and, um, you know, overstay my welcome, if you will, uh, in, in far, in, in regards to those kind of invites. And so they're very nice when they happen. I'm always appreciative. Uh, but for the most part, I'm kind of doing it myself when I get the opportunity and, you know, I'm busy this time of year. I'm training dogs. I got to get dogs ready for other people. And so I'm spending most of my time, um, you know, out behind the kennel on in my training lab and in the back 40, uh, just dialing in bird dogs. And so when I do have an opportunity to run out, I try to um, make the most of it. And a lot of times, like right now, I've got, I still have Wayne in. He's, we're get really getting, um, short timing on this next UT test. We're going to be down at, uh, at Scott and Kylie Caldwell's place in, uh, in the, for the Tar Heel chapter in the Sandhills of North Carolina. Um, so we're working on making a few field trips, taking Wayne and taking, I've got a couple other kind of young, talented dogs in the kennel that'll probably make those trips with me and get in the water, chasing birds around, um, as we prepare Wayne for that UT. Uh, and also those kind of provide opportunities. If I get out the door early enough, or if I make enough space, um, you know, to get in the canoe and, and, uh, 
maybe take a little trip down a creek somewhere and push a few ducks in the air, check the ground for splat, and that's what we'll be doing today. So I'm going to get Wayne, um, I'm going to head out to a, to a swamp in an undisclosed location, and we're going to work a little duck search, and then we'll probably jump on um, jump on a piece of moving water and, and move a duck around uh, if we can. So we'll, you know, going to take, it's a nice Saturday during the season. We'll get our work done too. We'll work on either side of that today and, uh, and hopefully have a nice productive little hunt. Um, I had in October, mid October every year. Um, I, I try to take, uh, the time between my, my fourth and fifth pointing dog classes for the year and take a little hunting trip. And this year, uh, I was planning to go, uh, go somewhere in the upper Midwest. I hadn't really dialed it in and I had a good old buddy from high school get married, uh, and invite me to be in his wedding as a groomsman. And, and I uh, wanted to make sure I could do that. And that just happened to be in Buffalo, New York. And so I made that trip and, uh, and, got lucky and got an invite from Bob Owens of Lone Duck Podcast, um, Lone Duck Outfitters. And I spent a couple of days with Bob and his family and his kennel staff. And we, uh, we hunted grouse and woodcock really hard for three days. And it was fantastic, uh, up in his area of kind of upstate Western New York. I'm not, it, it was really my first trip to the area and it was, um, it was a special place. It was really cool. It was uh, different than the upper Midwest where I've done most of my grouse and woodcock hunting. There were birds. Um, I, the numbers maybe weren't quite as dense as you might find in, in the upper peninsula or way up northern Minnesota or northern Wisconsin um, or even the lower upper lower mitten, uh, you know, but um, it's very decent numbers of birds, um, and enough to keep you busy and, uh, certainly enough to make me wish we had those kind of densities down here. So it, it was worth the trip for me, not only to, uh, to get some productive hunting in, but to get to know Bob better. It was cool, man. We had a lot of fun. He's a cut up. We had, a, we had a good time. Um, we, we, uh, recorded a podcast where we were just sitting around and, and chatting and that worked out really nicely I thought and um you know I hope that's a uh, a friendship that we can uh, that, or that I can at least foster into the future um just good folks and if I can ever return the favor uh, to get them down here and show them a good time I'll do my best we of course can't I can't show them the numbers of birds they were able to show me um but we'll uh we'll work as hard as we can at it um so that was a that was a fun trip um Got took my crew only. Got everybody into birds. Got bird work for everybody. Found you know enough grouse to make the trip worth it. Again, if I was really working on getting my young dogs into birds, I'd probably make that trip to the Upper Midwest. But one thing you don't get in the Upper Midwest that I that was in New York is I always felt like I was kind of walking through a Corey Ford essay. Um, you know, there were stone walls everywhere, old apple orchards. It was really, really neat. It was picturesque. The, the, the locals were super friendly. The last night I stayed in a little hotel, um, near a, near a piece of public land. And, uh, 
got to have a couple of Genesee cream ales and some and some buffalo wings and it was it was really really a pleasant trip um and uh and I'll look forward to revisiting that place sometime uh coming up for us we do like I mentioned earlier we've got the Tar Heel UT with Wayne so I'm excited for that um Wayne is, I feel like he's super dialed in. You guys have probably heard me talk about him in the past. He's, he's, uh, he's been with me on and off for about a year, a year and a half. And I think we've got him, you know, to big dog level. Um, so it's always a little stressful going into UT, you know, there's just so many ways to fail that test. Um, but, uh, I'm confident, especially in his bird work, his field work has just been, super super solid he's really making that transition between a green broke dog and a broke broke dog um currently you know and that's just a maturity and experience thing and so i just am feeling super confident in regards to that i'm a little concerned with the colder water you know it's the most of his time with me working water work was spent in the warmer months and then we've had this kind of unseasonably warm fall so we just haven't had the opportunity to find the water temps and just just see how he's going to handle stuff below the mid to low 60s in in terms of water temps so it's that's a that's a big ask for a dog and it's something that's natural normally not necessarily something that uh you can build up to and um you know of course you're always prepared for your luck to turn and you run and it's going to be 65 plus degree water temps until the day before the test and you get a super cold or a couple of days before the test and you get a big cold front and the water temps dump into the fifties or, you know, and, and, uh, that's always just kind of in the back of your mind. I think Wayne can handle it. He's a pretty gritty dog. He's pretty tough and he, he loves his duck search. He's, he's scored highly on those in the, in the past. So, um, so I'm going to, we'll cross our fingers for that. You know, we just hope the conditions stay right, but we're looking forward to it too. Good folks down there. Tar Heels, a good chapter, uh, welcoming people, very busy this time of year for them. They're just, they're running a heck of an operation. Um, so it's always just fun to, to be around. Um, really that's kind of, that's kind of what we've done to this point in the season and kind of what we have planned moving forward in a nutshell, we're definitely looking forward to the third duck split and, uh, and Woodcock season getting here. You know, that's when we really get in the woods the most. Um, it, it's just, it's our time of year. So we're still a ways out from that. We got probably a month before that fires off, but there's plenty to keep us busy until then. Uh, we are going to a field trial in Georgia, on December 17th, that'll be a UKC field trial. And for those of you not um, not familiar with that program, it's it's based on uh, the European field trial standard, the FCI. And I think for I think for folks that are really into the continental breeds in this country, and when I say continental breeds, I'm talking. German short hair, all the German dogs, the Britneys, the Vichlas, uh, the Griffons, um, all any of the French pointing breeds. Um, uh, so many of them I can't pronounce, but the Picardy comes to mind. 
Munster Landers, all that stuff. If you're into the continental breeds at all, Italian Spinoni, um, I think the UKC field trial program is really worth taking a look at. And I also believe for those with the, the English or British varieties as well, even if they're Americanized, the pointers and setters might find value in this, um, especially the Llewellyn folks. But I think it, it, you know, there's, there's a very, there's a, several variations on this trial program. We have a gun class and an open class and the gun class really is, I think, a, a wonderful program for those with a hunting dog. It's competitive, um, but it's also got a hunt test uh, side to it where you can pass and fail uh, and still earn a title, even if you're not winning blue ribbons. The open class tends to be much more competitive. It's broke dog work. You'll get braced, bird shot on the course, retrieved and liberated trials. If we have wild bird trials, we're using blank guns. And, uh, and not shooting the birds for obvious reasons. Um, but it can be anything you want it to be. But I do feel like it's a kind of a become a, the, it's definitely a home for the French Brittany in this country, but could really be a bastion for those with the continental breeds that are really focused more on, um, on their relationship with the dog in terms of being a hunter and uh and keeping it on the ground all the judging's done on the ground all the handling's done on the ground not that there's anything wrong with running a horse it's just kind of built for your more casual um gun dog owner if that makes sense and i think i think there's space uh for for that kind of work and i think there's room for other activities that are more kind of geared towards your, for a lack of a better term, companion gun dog crowd. Um, field trials can be intimidating. Hunt tests uh, can leave some things to be desired. You know, so whether you're talking AKC um, or NAVDA, uh, you know, NAVDA, I'm, I'm always torn because I feel like it's this, against the spirit of the game to make a game out of it or the spirit of the test, you know? So if I think for me with NAVDA moving into the future, I'm going to work really hard. I might give myself two UTs, um, with any dog I take, as long as I'm kind of the consistent trainer and handler. And that second UT, um, will be where I end it. I, I think it just goes against the spirit of the test to continue to UT until you qualify for the end of invitational. I think you, you do your best. You get that first score, a lot of times you're working the jitters out of the dog and you on test day. Um, sometimes you might go out there and prize one and never touch it again. Um, but oftentimes you go out there and you find a hole that you weren't expecting to find. And it just gives you an opportunity to go back and, and work on it. And so I think going back for a second UT, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, but if you're getting into going three, four, five times, again, this is not an admonishment for anybody that's doing it. It's just I think for me personally – um, it's, it's not what the test is designed for. And if I want a competitive outlet, I've got several of those, you know, and I can, and I can play other games to a high level. I've got dogs that, um, I mean, I, one in particular ended up with a VC on him. He's a, he's a great trial dog. So my dog Pete, you know, had we not qualified and gone to the invitational. And I honestly think the invitational, was an easier test for Pete than the UT in, in several ways. Um, 
you know, but I did take him to three UTs to get him to that invitational. And I, I don't think I'll do that again. Um, even though it worked out and I'm happy it did. And I'm glad he got that, that coveted title. Um, I think I could have had for me personally as much fun, uh, just, just focusing on trying to get to field trials and, and, you know, kind of getting those con- competitive juices flowing in that way. Um, I love NAVDA. I think it's a great organization. I will continue to support it into the future. I've got, this is no, in no way, uh, kind of critiquing that program at all. Um, it's just what it is. I think I, I look at what the Germans did with their testing programs kind of, and that's obviously where NAVDA evolved from. And, uh, and the Invitational is super, super cool, and it's a wonderful program. And if a dog can make a U- earn a UT1, then, uh, then they certainly deserve something special, like the opportunity to go challenge that, that big test. Um, you know, but for me, kind of once it's done, I want it to be done, you know, with each dog. Test to the level you can test to. If you qualify for the Invitational, uh, I would probably like, if it's my own personal dog, to take them. Um, but there, there tends to be something in the spirit of NAVDA that's that handler owner trainer thing. And I love helping my, my clients get to those places on their own. It's a, you know, it, it's just, um, it's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of stress on a dog and a client and a trainer, um, to, to focus on those goals long enough, uh, to really achieve them, if that makes sense. And I'm not sure it's the right thing for me. I think for certain clients it would be. For Wayne and Perry, uh, I'm happy to, I'm really happy working towards this UT1 with him, if we can get it. Um, But I'm not sure if he qualifies for the Invitational, it's the right move for me to take him. It may be. We'll find out. We'll see. But, you know, Wayne has, he's definitely kind of, warmed up to me and and so I feel some ownership over his success if that makes sense and sometimes that's a good thing and uh but it's got to be the right client relationship the right dog relationship um but I'm really most excited about getting Wayne into some field trials cuz I think he's going to excel in there as well and those those tend to you know be replicable in a different way in my opinion you go you don't get your if you're not satisfied with how you, how you did in this last one you go on and do another one and um i don't feel quite as guilty about repeating that process over and over especially with nav to being so popular and you know there's there's a lot of folks trying to get into these tests and if i'm kind of repeating the test with the same dog over and over again i'm taking that slot where somebody out there you know somebody else can get in there and <clears throat> and get what they're looking to do so, you know, just, just thoughts on NAVDA. That wasn't, I didn't really stay on track. Could have used Emily there to kind of write me on that, but hopefully that makes sense to everybody. I, I love the program. We'll always compete or, or we'll always challenge the test, um, you know, with my personal dogs and help client dogs get there as well. Um, but look kind of evolving in my thoughts about, uh, how active each individual dog and each individual handler need to be in that over a long period of time. Um, especially when there are other good viable options out there. Um, so kind of moving on from that, those are again, the, uh, the plans for the foreseeable future. Uh, 
and we I do a, have another. I think there will be. There's going to be one, actually two field trials in early February as well. Uh, I think I've got those on my calendar on my events page. So go check check the events calendar out. I'm going to try and keep it up to date with any events I'll be attending, and uh, and would love to see you guys out there. You know, at field trialing and uh, uh, hunt testing and all those things. These these are these are games that are in danger, and uh, they're less intimidating than I think people might believe if they go out there and uh, and find out for themselves. Um, <clears throat> speaking for the ones that I'm that I'm highly involved with, uh, namely the UKC trials, the, uh, I would say there's a I believe there's a really friendly atmosphere around there and a and kind of a culture of fellowship. So certainly would hope you guys would check those out, give them a shot, regardless of your breed of dog. Come out there, you might surprise yourself, and um, at the very least, you're gonna have some fun, meet some like minded people, and uh, and probably eat some good food. So hopefully we'll see at some of these events through the course of the year. Speaking of events, though, I do want to touch on something else we've done. So um, we had what uh, kind of loosely translates into a St. Hubert's trial uh, last weekend at Blue Horizon Quail Preserve. Um, it's something that I heard about several years ago, and it really, really intrigued me. And, um, and I've kind of obsessed on it since. And finally to the point where I kind of, it, it just forced me to a little bit of action. And, uh, and I went ahead and organized one on my own and had a ball. Um, so the St. Hubert's trial is really designed, um, as a test of a hunter and a dog as a team. So it's not so much about the skill set of the dog. You're not um, selecting for brood, brood stock, you're really saying, Hey, you know, if you're a dog and a handler team and you want to come out and, uh, and have fun in a game with like-minded competitors, uh, in a, in a low pressure, low competitive pressure environment where we're assessing the hunter as much as we're assessing the dog, but overall the harmony between the hunter and dog, um, then that's, that's the game for you. Right. So it's got quite a history in Europe, uh, at least in the, in the way it's run today, there's, I think it's about a 40, 42 years, somewhere in the early eighties. Um, these first started being organized in France the way they are today, but it looks like, uh, it, to the best of my knowledge that they existed for quite a while before that as well. Um, but they've just, you know, they're, they're recognized officially under, uh, under the hunting federations of each country in Europe and, uh, and they have a world championship. And so, um, uh, it's again, something intriguing. It's got a, it's got a longstanding tradition over there. It's something that I could not find had ever existed in this country. And I thought looking at the landscape that there was potentially a void that it might fill, you know, and I, I often hear my clients that I invite to field trials kind of say, number one, I mean, it's very common. If you're a dog trainer, you've heard this plenty of times before. I, I don't want any field trial dog. That's not what I'm looking for. I just want something that'll go hunting with me and, uh, and be my buddy and, 
that's what this game is out to uh, to test. You know how how harmonious is your relationship with your dog, and are you effective? Are you sporting? Are you um, are you respectful of the game? You know, and and uh, do you know what you're doing when you're out there? And does it? Are you the kind of person that your standard good hunter out there would want to partner with and have a nice day of field with? Um, and so even if you're not competing at the highest levels of this thing, I think it gives you an opportunity to get out and to get a grasp of the culture, to, to see kind of what the standard would be at the, you know, at the higher levels of a, um, of an experienced hunter and to go out and have fun, uh, and, uh, and like anything else, meet new folks, eat good food, um, and enjoy a day of field. So I guess I'll do my best to explain kind of technically what a St. Hubert's trial is. And, uh, and then we'll, I'll, I'll shoot you some links in the show notes to, uh, to the European pages. There's everything's had to be translated and some of it doesn't translate super well. Um, but we'll do our best. So again, it's a test of dog hunter, um, the harmony in the relationship, the harmony of field, the way they move, the way they interact with one another, how effective they are in finding the game. And then of course, uh, how effective and efficient they are in, um, harvesting the game on the course and how safe they are doing it and how sporting they are doing it. Uh, for us, we ran this trial with two classes. We had a flushing dog class and a pointing dog class. They do the same in Europe. Um, I'm, they say that, you know, if you look at the verbiage on what I could find from the European pages is there's no breed restriction. So essentially any old dog can do it. And there's no, that's not sanctioned by any, um, uh, registry or synological organization. So it doesn't need to be sanctioned by the FCI or the SCC in France's case, um, so for us, we don't need the UKC or the AKC. This is going to be a standalone organization. And I think it's better that way. Um, it's, it's not about, you know, the, the pomp and ceremony that exists around, uh, these previous breeds or, um, or not the previous breeds, but the existing breeds, um, it's, it's really, you know, if you can go out there with a beagle and have a good day hunting birds, then I want to see it. And, and I think you should have as much of an opportunity to win as anybody that goes out there and does it with whatever other breed of hunting dog. Um, if you want to go out there with, with a good old American classic straight out of the kennel and do it, if please feel free. Um, and so, you know, in that vein, uh, the flushing class this year was actually won by, a lab and a runner up was a lab even, and we had several spaniels out there. Um, it's just that the labs that won, uh, had, had the experience and, uh, and the technical training behind them to, to show well, um, and had both worked with handlers that have put a, poured a bunch of time and effort into, uh, into hunting with those dogs and full disclosure. Um, it was actually my, dog Althea that won, uh, she won with Emily Shirey handling her and Emily has been 
handling Althea through every test she's run. Uh, she got her first finish pass, finished pass in HRC recently. Um, and so she and Emily are a heck of a team and, and to be quite honest, I think she handles better for Emily than she does for me. Um, and, and, um, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons for that, but you know, either way, I'm very proud of both of them. Um, Emily having worked with me for, for a handful of years now and, uh, and Althea being my dog, um, you know, I know I'm not sure from a conflict of interest perspective, that's the right thing to do if we ever do another one of these things, but we needed to fill that flushing class and we did, we got quite a few entries, um, and, uh, and we put Althea in there with Emily and they did great while I was over judging the pointing class. Um, in the pointing class, I had a gentleman by the name of Landon Poplin. Uh, he was my winner and, uh, and Trey Wright was the runner up and, uh, Landon's dog was a wire hair or is a wire hair and Trey's dog is a Vizsla. And, uh, and they both put on really impressive performances, um, and uh and just to note the runner up on the course was an Althea pup on the flushing course with um with Josh Garrison uh who is his owner and trainer and handler he just he's come out as a day trainer um for a couple of years now and he's put so much time and effort into that dog and they made a great showing so I'm really proud of them as well um so you know that's that was a lot of fun we had we had a ball it was you know the dog that won on my course would not have, would probably not have placed in a field trial, probably may not have gotten a pass. Um, but he had, he had a moment on the course where there was a trapped bird as the judge. I looked at it and I don't think that the dog did anything wrong in that regard. He ended up on top of that bird from, uh, from upwind. Uh, so he never really had the opportunity to point that bird with his nose. Um, by the time he saw it, the bird was already moving and just hadn't taken flight. And he gave a little bit of chase and trapped it. And if that had been a real hunting scenario, um, I don't see how you could hold that against a dog. Uh, he was kind of, I think he was working a little bit, bit of ground scent in the area, but he, he never had the opportunity to get into a scent cone. Um, so I made that judgment call. I saw that and I said, you know, I'm not going to, you know, that was the very first contact. I'm not going to hold it against the dog. Um, and I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad certainly in a field trial, I, I, I may have been tempted to pick those dogs up in an open class field trial for sure. Uh, that dog up. Um, it's just sometimes the way the cookie crumbles in a field trial. Sometimes, you know, it's not the dog's fault. It's not the handler's fault. Things just shake out. They don't go well. You get bad luck and your day's over. Um, this, this test or trial gave me the opportunity to, uh, uh, to make better decisions in my opinion about giving the opportunity, giving the dog the opportunity to show me more of what it can be. And then, you know, luckily a few minutes later, he had a contact where we had birds left over from the morning. Um, and there were six or seven chucker coveyed. They popcorned out, they ran around on the ground. They did all sorts of stuff. And, and, um, and Harker, the dog pointed and held and, uh, and handled all of that action in front of him from the birds with a lot of style and class and, uh, and just it, it very, restrained work in a good way. Um, 
Birds continued to pile out. Landon picked one and shot it, and Harker did not mark the bird because he was busy watching a couple of other birds fly away, and Landon had to make a blind retrieve with him that went off beautifully. Um, and they're a, they're a heck of a team. And just walking with them was, was really special, and you could feel it. And so I awarded them the first place because uh, I thought they were the best handler team on the course. You have an objective standard that has to be met. Um, but I, I, and the flushing judge, who was a, a gentleman by the name of John Huddleston, um, we got together and we said the most important thing, you know, in terms of awarding a placement in this is going to be, I want that to be the dog handler team that I would most enjoy a day of field with. And I think that's what we got. So I was, I was really proud of that. Um, you know, I'm proud that Althea and Emily won on their course. I, I just really, really thought I picked the right dog handler team on my course uh, for both placement and runner-up. But I had some great runs otherwise. And the cool thing about this is I don't have anybody to tell me what to do in terms of how to award prizes. And so um, on my course, uh, all but one dog are going to pass. And, and we're going to send them a certificate. That's as good as any other certificate printed. Um, but it's just saying, hey, that, you know, uh, according to me, you have a practical hunting dog, a good one, and you're a good team. And uh, and we're going to get John to sign his his course, and I'll sign mine, and um, and we'll send those out to the folks. And hopefully it's something they can be proud of. You know, we, we I made those dogs work to, to get their pass, and, and, uh, and it's a place for folks that maybe – wouldn't feel quite as at home in a in a field trial it just felt like a day of hunting we had a big chicken cook my buddy tyler came out and cooked us a lot of quarters of chicken and we ate beans and slaw and had a nice a nice meal um, at the lodge at blue horizon and made a lot of friends reconnected with some old friends and just had fun and so that's you know that's what we're all aiming for in terms of you know, joining these, in my opinion, that's what I'm aiming for when I, when I am a part of, uh, one of these clubs that's, uh, either hosting field trials or hunt test or whatever, I, it, the human connections as important as anything we're doing with our dogs. And, uh, and you know, it, it's important for all of us if we're out there, uh, competing, testing, whatever, meeting new folks, to, to make the new people feel invited. And that's, that was a big part of this entire event is to take folks that may not normally show up at these kind of things and make them feel like they've got a place where they can be comfortable and not feel like they're being, you know, excluded in any way. It's all about inclusion. Um, I, I'm like I said, I've got some links up for that, for the European links to the St. Hubert's trial, but I do want to do my best. Um, I'm going to read a translated version of the French page. And uh, I think there's a neat kind of description of what the trials are. Hopefully it makes sense to everybody. And uh, I'll go ahead and do that now. There's a part on the opening, on the front page of... Uh, of the SCC's page four of the St. Hubert field trial, it says an intense moment between hunters and dogs. 
And again, remember that this is uh, being translated from French, so it's going to sound a little bit wonky probably. But it says the annual selection of St. Hubert's meetings is organized in all departments. The champions of the different categories then participate in the regional selection of their geographical area. There are seven, and this is in the country of France, which I believe is the country of origin for the test. And again, there are seven, which allows for the winners to access the national final. This has taken place over the last two years on the very hunting grounds of the Sison military camp in Asni. Asni. I'm sure I'm completely butchering that. If you're French, please forgive me. St. Hubert meetings are practical hunting events for hunters with stop dogs or spaniels. All breeds are allowed. Above all, it is the promotion of hunting with the use of hunting dogs that is sought. The St. Hubert meeting event is aimed at hunter-dog couple, where everyone will be appreciated individually, of course, but also for the dog-hunter team they form. Hunting is more than an outdoor sport. It is an art of living. I'm going to say that one more time, guys. Hunting is more than an outdoor sport. It is an art of living. Leave it to the French to really hammer something uh, as abstract as that home, but I, I really appreciate it and love it. The favorite pet pet dog of the French has always been accompanied has always accompanied the hunter in the action. Everything is put together to feed the art of hunting through cinephilia, which is the love of dogs, which finds its full development in the trials of the Saint Hubert meetings. The hunter who appears in the trials of the St. Hubert meetings with his dog must above all have a sporting spirit, form a complicit team with his companion, respect the rules of prudence and decency that are advocated by all those responsible for French hunting. This test is absolutely not comparable to field trials, which are canine selection tests and which only sanction the dog's behavior. Moreover, the Recontres St. Hubert, the meetings of St. Hubert, we always talk about the hunter before talking about the dog. The objective of St. Hubert meetings is therefore not to select for the perfect dog awarded by multiple dog awards, but to discover practical hunting dogs, certainly well put, but who work in perfect communion with a master himself defending the values of hunting. When these conditions are met, it is a friendly game on a 20-minute hunting course that the competitors compete. The examiner's jury notes the course of the hunter and the dog according to the precise criteria fixed in the rating grid of the rules of the St. Hubert meetings. So that's it. That's the description you'll find on the front page. Uh, They just wrapped up the world championship. It was held in, in Serbia. So each country sends representatives to the world championship. And I think it would be really neat and so you know, it's it's a it's still a long way off and m- most likely a pipe dream, um, but I'm working on formalizing this trial program. Um, we're going to host another one March 11th. I'll get that on my events calendar, um, and uh, we'll do that here. Anyone interested, we'd love to see you. Uh, bring your spaniels, bring your labs, bring whatever you want to flush with. I, they say on this page that uh, that all breeds are welcome, that they don't discriminate, and I'm not. I I believe that to be the case, but really, when you look at the European stuff, you pretty much see Springers and Cockers in the flushing class. The Europeans are pretty sensitive about the use of retrievers uh, in the uplands as rough shooting dogs, um, 
which is not only culturally acceptable, but pretty much the rule here in the States. Uh, you see a lot of labs out in the field. So we'll, I don't know if that would hold up. Maybe one day we'll find out. I think it would be really cool if uh, if we could figure out a way to to form an account, have a few of these trials a year, put some money aside, and send some folks to Europe if they uh, if they merited that experience. So that's where my head's at. It's a long way off from being a reality. Um, but if if you have an interest in being involved in that in any way, um, reach out to me, and I'll keep you in the loop as we move forward with uh, with formalizing these little trials we're holding. Um, and, and we may encourage others to do so and, and incentivize others to do so. Um, so, I you know, the rules, uh, I, I don't want to spend too much time harping on the rules here. I'm going to put a, they're very simple. And, and they do have a point system. Um, we were probably a little, at least on my course, I, I went by the, the grid point system as a go-by, um, but I pretty much maxed everybody if they did everything okay. You know, there's places you can lose little bits of points, um, but the general idea is you step onto the field, you've got your shotgun, you've got a judge, uh, you know, maybe a steward, uh, maybe somebody else walking along if you're willing, um, to allow that to happen. Uh, I'm going to inspect your weapon. I'll ask you a few questions. I'll ask you some hunting related questions and some dog related questions. And we're there to test your kind of your knowledge and your, um, your, your passion for that work a little bit. We want to make sure you have a safe weapon that you're handling your weapon safely you are allowed to bring six shells onto the course, and you're allowed to take a maximum of two pieces of game, two birds on the course. So you should show up with a, a serviceable weapon and a uh, shells or cartridges that are going to be viable options for the game we have on the course. And <clears throat> it's... To some degree, there's a test of your marksmanship, um, but I can tell you this: it's it. If you can, if you can scratch down one bird on your course, let me see a retrieve. Um, odd, odds are you can be in the running for placement. So the the it's, this is not a hunting tournament. It's not a timed event where you see who can shoot the most, have the best retrieves, and everything else. It's it's really the test of uh, the the handler dog relationship. Um, it, it will be helpful to be able to, uh, for us to judge your relationship with that dog via a retrieve. We, we need to get some of those points on there probably to get you a placement. Um, but otherwise I'm not looking for who can go take two clean birds and have two perfect retrieves. I'm not even looking for steadiness in the pointing dogs. I'm looking for effectiveness. Um, you know, and, and I need to see safety. So things like chasing game might have some points with them, but that's going to really be for me a safety score. Uh, it, you know, if if a dog is mechanically bringing a bird back, but maybe un, unenthusiastically and retrieves perfectly to hand on the uh, on the delivery, that may not score as well as a dog that goes out super enthusiastically and drops it at his handler's feet and, you know, has his tail wagging and 
looks for affection as soon as he gets there. You know, I'm not looking to, to reward training. I'm looking to reward relationship. So without getting too deeply into the rules and the mechanics of the game, I'm going to post that in the notes. I'll post you a link where you can read about those things. You can see the scoring criteria. Um, but, uh, but just note, you know, again, it's not a hunting tournament. It's not a field trial. It's, uh, it's an opportunity to get out and to get in front of an experienced judge and show off your relationship with your dog and your level of enthusiasm for the game as manifest in sportsmanship and safety and fun and uh, a relaxing day of field, if that makes sense. So hopefully that sounds like something you guys might be interested in. Again, if it is, reach out and uh, and we'll try to involve you in future events uh, or help you um, plan and host your own events. Uh, again, thank you to Mr. John Huddleston of Moxville, North Carolina, uh, for judging our flushing class. John is a uh, is a seasoned Boykin man, he's um, judged and competed and competed at the highest levels in in a lot of Boykin Upland events. So he's a spaniel man. He understands the rules very well of the spaniel game. He understands what they're looking for. And I was really happy that he had some really nice spaniels on his course, and he was open minded enough to to award um, the retrievers the wins. You know, and so he knew he wasn't out there looking for perfection in the spaniel way but again that that uh just effective efficient way of approaching the course with a flushing dog and then and again you know it may be an it may become an american thing where the retrievers end up and, and we may end up with separate classes at some point i think you know one thing the europeans do that we would probably do here if the game grew big enough is if you are a field trial in your trialer in europe and you compete in the saint hubert's meetings um, you have your own class. And so, uh, that would be helpful. You know, if you know, you've got your average hunter over here and a guy that field trials over here and hunts also, um, you're really looking at the distinction that would be open and novice anywhere else. And so that, that distinction would probably be made. Uh, also, you know, it's, it's tough to judge, uh, a spring or a cocker against a retriever sometimes, you know? And so, um, yeah, they, they've got their own styles. And so if you ended up with enough dogs in a trial, you could certainly have a, uh, a flushing retriever class versus, versus a real spaniel class. So just things to think about and consider, um, you know, I'm looking forward to it again, March 11th. We're doing it again. I thought I had a ball at this one. I think it, uh, I think it has a, could have a broad appeal to a lot of folks. I think folks in NAVDA could come and, and really enjoy it. I think folks from the Spaniel world could come enjoy it. If folks are out there competing in um, hunting tournaments, timed events, they can come to this. Nastra, uh, if you're an American field field trialer, you can do this, you know, and so there's nothing keeping you out of this one. This is a place that's there. This is a game that's inclusive for all. If you're not playing a game, um, my runner up on, uh, on the pointing dog course um, is a, a preserve guide. And I'm not sure how much, if any, experience he had with, you know, hunting tournaments. And he may, he may have, but he didn't mention it if he did. But he was just kind of, 
just a nice guy. His name was Trey Wright with his Vishla um, Ruby Thews, which is a super cool name um, for those that uh, are familiar with the movie Cold Mountain. Um, so they went out and, I mean, just had a, just put on a dandy of a hunt and, uh, you know, relatively clean work, but just good hunting dog work. And again, you know, it's a guy uh, that does a lot of preserve guiding with his dog that does some preserve guiding with him. It's going to be hard to beat you know, on a, on a preserve if he's casual and has a good time and safe and, uh, and honors the game, which he did. And, um, you know, so, uh, that's, that's what can be expected again. Uh, reach out if you, if you have any interest in that, otherwise, you know, thanks for listening guys. Um, Remember, we've got room for one dog in January, uh, got room for a few in March, and uh, and we need to fill that uh, the summertime retrieve water program. Uh, so if anybody out there is listening, uh, looking to get their dog into something like that, reach out. Look forward to talking to you. Uh, certainly, if I can't help you, I'll do the best I can to refer you to the right person that can. Um, and if I can help you, I'll, uh, I'll give you my best effort. So um, until next time, thanks for listening, guys. Hey, listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.